0: If I'm a manufacturing company and I'm going through an an acquisition or I'm thinking about acquiring, Mm -hmm. you have to be very, very deliberate about every single move that happens. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies
1: impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week. We interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to Episode 77, where today we're talking about leading your company through an acquisition. Our guest today is James Novak, he is the CEO of Fix Software, a company that provides an industry-leading cloud-based CMMS that helps manufacturers plan, track, and optimize maintenance. It's also worth noting that just over one year ago, they were acquired by Rockwell Automation, which brings us to the premise of today's show. So here are the three things you can expect to learn from this episode. Number one, we hear about James's story, what he learned from working for major companies like BlackBerry, and what he prioritized when he became the CEO of Fix. Second, we talk about acquisitions. This is the meat of the conversation where James shares how he evaluated whether the acquisition would be a good fit. He also shares what other manufacturing leaders can do to help their people and teams continue to do great work while navigating a new organization. This part of the conversation applies to both companies being acquired or companies that are making an acquisition. And number three, we discuss CMMS, what it does for maintenance, some of the tech and integrations. We also get into some details as we talk about Fix and the Rockwell ecosystem, but since this is an industrial podcast, I feel confident that you will be able to keep up. As always, you can find more information over at the show notes page for this episode at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 77, and I also want to make sure I'm transparent on the front end that I also work for Fix Software, though they are not affiliated with the podcast Manufacturing Happy Hour. If you are enjoying this show, you should also consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where it's very easy and very fast to leave a five-star rating and review. And with that, let's jump into today's interview. We're going to head to Toronto to meet up with James Novak. James. Cheers, Chris. Thank you. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Hmm.
0: Good to have it being uh, recorded in Canada.
1: I have not recorded a live Manufacturing Happy Hour in a while. It's been Zoom for like two years, basically. So well, it is good to be up. It's here. One
0: of the perks about being in the office, I think.
1: Yes, no, I would agree with that. So we're up here, we're in Toronto, and I was asking you this as we were walking down the stairs. If we were having this at an esta- if we were having this conversation at an establishment yep. in Toronto. Where might that be? Well,
0: it depends on the season. So, like, Canada can run all four seasons, right? So if you're in the Mm -hmm. summer, definitely we'd be having it at the lake. So, you know, on the dock, uh, something overlooking the water for sure for me. Winter, you know, bundle up, find me a pub, an English pub in the city. Yeah. You know, dark glasses, dark wood dark establishment an, that's an, where an, I'd like to be
1: any favorites since we are recording this in win via a winter <laughs> well <party.
0: laughs> if you <laughs> get if you get here uh, I promise you you won't have a bad time if you go to a bar called two cats mm-hmm. in Toronto Um it's just a special, special place uh, for all of the wrong reasons, and I promise you, you'll <laughs> love it.
1: All right. Well, let's say we're having this conversation at, at two cats. We want to get to know you a little bit today. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, uh, And you know, I'm, I'm interested because this conversation is happening about a year after Rockwell Automation bought Fix, and we'll <laughs> jump into acquisitions, what it's like getting acquired, how you lead during that process, but we do want to get to know you a little bit first. Sure. So, you got your start at Microsoft and BlackBerry. Yep. Tell us a bit about that experience and what led you to FIX.
0: Yeah, so I was uh, I was working at Microsoft. It was great. Um, it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Microsoft was a exciting, happy place to be at that point in time. And uh, it just happened to be where I was going to university at the time. It was a city called Waterloo, Ontario, just outside of Toronto here, where BlackBerry, Research and Motion at the time, was headquartered. So I started working there. It was cool being part of wireless, and then it exploded. Mm-hmm. And um, you know I was part of I was young, I was early in my career, but Blackberry was taken off. my career was taken off at the same time with it. And it was awesome. It was this really unique experience of working with like really smart people, um, working with my friends, having purpose, right? We were changing wireless industry at the same time, um, and solving tough problems. I was traveling the world. I had big marketing budgets. Like It was it was kind of like a really unique time. And uh, that lasted for like 10 to 12 years. But as the arc goes of BlackBerry, you know, it goes up and it was on its way down. And I tell people that I, I worked at BlackBerry when it was cool to work at BlackBerry. It stopped being cool to work at BlackBerry, so I, I left. Sure. But I wanted to join like a startup. And I actually didn't know what that meant at the time. I had very little industrial software experience. I, I dabbled into some IoT type stuff with BlackBerry. But... Didn't know anything about industrial. And I've met the founding team at Fix. And the company was called Maintenance Assistant at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had what I thought was a cool technology, uh, a good team, a great team. But um, the biggest thing was I I felt like they had an opportunity to completely disrupt maintenance software and turn it into cloud, consumer, on-prem, from on-prem legacy software. A lot like Salesforce.com did with the CRM space. Turns out that bet was right. You know, here we are. Seven years later, 300 employees raised Series A, B, and C, acquired by by Rockwell Automation. So it's been quite the journey, and that's how I ended up. Kind of just fell into it, fell into the industrial
1: space. Love the synopsis. I have to go back to the BlackBerry experience yep. first, because I want to. We want to pull some lessons from this. And I mean, you said it. It was cool to work at BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. BlackBerry was an iconic company. So. What did you learn from that experience as to someone that was the absolute leader that ultimately you don't hear much about him now? Yeah, so
0: there's a a few things. I mean, you take a lot of positives Mm -hmm. when you work at a place like that, but then you also view some of the challenges that the organization had, and you're like, okay, I'll make sure that that doesn't happen again. On the positive side, you know, there was, um, you know, we really worked fast. And Mm -hmm. so now being a part of Fix, you probably see just how fast, you know, we move as an organization. Um, you know, other things that we really focus on here at Fix is just, like, how how awesome the talent is at the organization. I, I really enjoyed working with, like, really smart people solving tough problems, and I vowed that we would bring that back to the organization when we, when we came and we started building Fix. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other side of the coin, BlackBerry was eclipsed by Android and iPhone mm-hmm. in the consumer technology market, and one of the lessons that I've taken away from that was just that to never really rest, rest on your laurels as an organization. Mm-hmm. Always be innovating, always be looking to disrupt yourself. And so, um, you know, that's something that we bring here. We're, we're never really satisfied with the position that we have or how much further we can push the boundaries of technology and maintenance or industrial. And um, I think that's something that I learned deeply because I experienced what would have been the negative side of that at a company like BlackBerry, that we were like, no, no, we're going to always be innovating, always disrupt ourselves before somebody else will do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Excellent lessons. Never rest on your laurels. I think that's something we see in the manufacturing world all the time mm-hmm. these days. I've got a, a bit of a two-part question for you next. Go um, for it. I was listening to another podcast that you were on. This is probably two or three years ago sure. in the rearview mirror, but you were sharing a story about when you were becoming CEO yep. of Fix, and the board asked you, What kind of company do you want to build? You Mm -hmm. gave three answers. Do you remember what those are? I sure do. I actually give this story to every new
0: employee that joins Fix. So we sit down and I give the same story. So I've delivered this story a number of times. But the board asked me what I thought was a very simple question. Mm -hmm. And the very simple question was, James, we're about to make you CEO because I was the president and COO. I was taking over for the founders at the time. And they said, James, what kind of company do you want to build? And what I thought was a very simple question actually required a bunch of introspection. Mm-hmm. And um, what we found in that introspection, when I really dug into it with the team and my people and everything that everybody that was involved in in building the company, the answer had three parts to it. And the three parts were: one, I want to be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, we hire the best. We only we the good companies grow at like thirty percent. We're going to try to grow at seventy percent because that's what the best companies try to do. Um, you know, we, we only uh, bring in people that we think are the best from a partnership perspective or investor perspective. But what we've realized about being the best is that the best companies just don't sit there and like tap themselves on the back and say, hey, we're the best. We can stop now. It's about this journey about getting better every day, mm-hmm. every month, every quarter, every year. And the compounding effect of getting better every little bit along that journey allows you to be the best. And that was, that, was the, that was the journey that we had to take, was like getting better every month, every quarter, every year. And the compounding effect of all of that, you know, allowed us to strive to be the best. So that was the first part of the question, I want to be the best. Second part, mm-hmm. when they said, James, what kind of company do you want to build? I said, I care very deeply about the experience that every single fixer has at the company. Going back to like my BlackBerry story, I had this amazing experience. I was young, I was early in my career. I was learning, I was growing, I was working with smart people. All these great things kind of contributed to an amazing career experience. And what I was able to take from that was, wow, I want to give back that same experience to whoever comes to fix. But the challenge with that is that you have like 300 people in the organization. I can't personally be responsible for 300 people's happiness as much as I want to and as much as I try. Mm -hmm. So our job is to create this like platform where we invest in all sorts of things, depending on the individual. You know, Chris, you might care about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Another individual might care about making a ton of money. Another individual might care about working with really smart people beside them. Another person might care about work autonomy. And so having all of these diverse backgrounds are amazing. That's how you have a diverse organization. But now you have to build this platform where all these people can be satisfied in the experience that they want to build. So mm-hmm. that was my job, was building this platform as the CEO of like where all these experiences could kind of happen. And then the third part was, James, when what kind of company do you want to build? You know, I want to be the best. I care very deeply about the experience. The third part was I want to do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, we could make money on the internet selling guns and cigarettes if we wanted to. Yeah, And we decided not to. We decided that there was a higher purpose for the work that we were doing in industrial spaces. And fundamentally, we believe that proper maintenance leads to sustainable outcomes in the world, whether that's carbon emissions reduction, health and safety outcomes, waste reduction outcomes, energy reduction outcomes. Higher output, there's circular economy components, in particular when globalization happens. So we believe that through proper maintenance, you can create better sustainable outcomes in the world, and that's our higher purpose as an organization. That's why we do this. And so it's a combination of those three answers. Yeah. When somebody asked me, James, what kind of company you want to build, that's uh, after some deep introspection. What seemed like a simple question became something that um,
1: required a lot of a lot of thought. So I'm curious. The the acquisition by Rockwell occurred. A year ago then, did you have a similar list when you were trying to figure out is the Rockwell acquisition right? Were you trying to align it with that answer? Tell me about that. Yeah, it, we, we I looked at it um, and the board and our
0: investors all looked at it from maybe a little bit of a different perspective. And I think this is where Fix was unique. Um, most times you look at it from a financial perspective, right? You're a mm-hmm. for-profit organization. You take a look at the numbers. Does it make sense? That's only one part of the equation from my perspective. What we had to look at it from was all of our stakeholders. So we looked at it from our customers. Is this better for our customers? Are they going to have better solutions from us? Will they have better integrated solutions from us? Will they be able to um, move along their digital journey better because of the Rockwell acquisition of FIX? The answer is yes, categorically yes. what about our employees? What's happening with our employees? Are they just going to lay off everyone or are we going to grow as an organization? turns out we're going to grow as an organization. We mm-hmm. look at it from a shareholder perspective. Financially, does this make sense with our growth perspective, et cetera? Does it make sense for our community where we live and work in Toronto and in Canada? And and all of those areas that we looked at from every stakeholder perspective, we felt like this was a really positive outcome. Mm-hmm. So when we thought about this, we didn't have like a list of, hey, does this meet our criterias? It's we looked at it from a uh, from a persona or a stakeholder perspective, not just from a financial outcome. And that's how we ended up with a decision where like, we were like, yeah, this, this makes a ton of sense for everybody that's involved in this company.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you're looking at it from the stakeholders, internal, external, et cetera. Yep. I, I have to ask, what, tell us a bit about the acquisition. What could, what went through your head when you realized it was real? Like, do you get, were you getting pitched all the time? Like, yeah. do you get calls about this? Like, how do you filter out noise from something that's legitimate? Totally. Totally. So fix
0: hot company in a hot space, right? Mm-hmm. So we had no shortage of either investors wanting to get a piece of the company or acquirers that were interested in either partnering with us or, or acquiring us. And um, as we were going through the journey of kind of a high growth organization and mm-hmm. adding as much revenue and customers and doing the impact that we were in the market. Mm mm-hmm. You know, I would take calls. My job as the CEO is to have interesting conversations. And so when Rockwell called me for the first time, I was like, this is an interesting conversation. Well, we will have this conversation. (laughs) We weren't planning on getting acquired at the time. Um, Wasn't kind of what the board or management were were interested in, but um, Rockwell just really got aggressive with us. They learned a little bit about us. We learned a Mm -hmm. little bit about them. And they fell in love with the business, they fell in love with their customers, they fell in love with their technology, they fell in love with the management and the employee base Mm -hmm. of the company. And once those things started lining up, then we started getting into the details. Now, one thing I will tell you, Chris, is it happened fast. Yeah. So we're in the middle, we're in COVID, right? So COVID is what, four months old, Mm -hmm. five months old when we're And still the world doesn't know what's happening. Um, We don't know, like, is the economy going to tank? What's happening with industrial customers or their supply chain? Like, Mm -hmm. all of those things are still relatively unknown at the time. So we're going through the deal. Um, We're negotiating on the final terms of the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I lay out some kind of final details to Rockwell on a phone call. And uh, I get an email back the next morning. It says, we've agreed and signed. And I literally sat there at my home office, and I just leaned back in my chair, and I went, "Holy shit, we just sold the company!" <laughs> and that was it. It just hap- it just happens that quick. And yeah. you know, when uh, big organizations like Rockwell want to do something that's strategic to their business, they move fast mm-hmm. on those paths. And we were a nimble organization, so it was easy for us to make these decisions. And yeah, it it once we once we went down the path, it it happened it happened really quickly.
1: It's. Uh- I look at it the same way as consistency or habits, right? You're constantly fielding those calls, right? Like, it it goes on for months, years, whatever it is. But, like, right when critical mass hits, right, it just goes instantaneously, right? Like, people think it's a very quick process. But, I mean, do you look at it as, hey, I was fielding calls like this for a long time, but when it happened, it just finally sped ahead? Yeah. Do you
0: think about it that way? um Yeah. You know, part of uh, the job of a CEO and the board of an organization that's growing as quickly as you do is to Mm -hmm. create as many options as you can in your business. Optionality kind of creates value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we thought about it like, you know, we always knew that we had an opportunity to become a billion dollar organization, a billion dollar business. Um, What are all the paths that we can take to get there and then keep all of those doors open to us? So I had all the conversations Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's that's just part of the job. Now, um, what's interesting is that is that it might not yield dividends when sure. you do it. Yeah, sure enough, you know, a year later, two years later, you know, somebody that I spoke to at a conference or kept a relationship with calls me up and says, "Hey, we're ready to do this now," and mm-hmm. it moves quickly at that point.
1: We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Obvious Ventures. Obvious is a venture capital firm investing in purpose-driven entrepreneurs who are harnessing technology to reimagine every sector of the economy. We're talking about the basic building blocks of society and life, from food to mobility to healthcare, finance, marketing, energy, and more. But Let's get specific. Obvious has invested in companies that are taking manufacturing and supply chain technologies to the next level, especially robotics startups like Canvas, and even ones that have been featured on this show before, like Dexterity. Want to learn more? Well, past Manufacturing Happy Hour guest, Nan Lee, who leads Obvious's work in robotics and industrial automation, is hosting a new podcast called Machine Visions that dives into these topics headfirst through interviews with industry leaders and startups. You can find Machine Visions wherever you get your podcasts or You can visit them at obvious.com. And now, back to today's episode. So I want to focus on the people for a little bit. You've you've brought up the employees at Fix in almost every answer you've given so far. You care about the experience of every individual fixer. Now we're, we're dealing with an organization that's a lot more people, right? It's not just fixed. Sure. You have the entire Rockwell world, their whole partner network. Mm-hmm. It's a beast. Mm-hmm. So how do you avoid an us versus them mentality in the case of an acquisition, right? Because every acquisition is probably going to have people with different experiences, et cetera, sure. coming in, different types of company, different go-to-market strategies. How do you balance that?
0: Yeah. Lots of different vectors on this one, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of ways that the train can go off the tracks Mm -hmm. when you're doing something like this. The Mm -hmm. first and foremost, um, one of the things that we looked at when we looked at all the stakeholders and the employee stakeholders was like, what what are the values of an organization? And Mm -hmm. it seemed to me that Rockwell cared about the same things that Fix cared about. You know, Rockwell, they care about their employees and the well-being of their employees. They care that they have 20, 30, 40-year veterans in the organization, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Rockwell also cares about sustainability in the same way that we care about mm-hmm. sustainability. And so, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like those are deeply ingrained things that we care about in the organization. So, like from a values perspective, yeah, everything kind of aligned.
1: Mm-hmm. The other thing
0: that I thought was really interesting and unique about Rockwell was just how focused they were on the customer. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter what was happening within the internal teams. Rockwell was always going to do what was best for the customer. And that seemed to me, and I've learned over the past year, totally true, mm-hmm. that that is ubiquitous, that every employee in Rockwell cares about the customer. And yep. it's always put the customer experience first. So as long as everyone's focused on the customer, regardless of if you have differences of opinions, nobody's mm-hmm. right, nobody's wrong, there's different paths to get there, mm-hmm. then I felt like Rockwell was going to get the right thing done. So that was, that was a great thing for us. Now, there's always room for what I'll call healthy tension, in organizations sure Sure. fix is going to move fast we make fast decisions we build products in a different way we bring them to market in a different way Mm -hmm. than maybe rockwell does with their legacy products Mm -hmm. but that's okay because when you're something as big as rockwell you're not just like one entity you're like a solar system, mm-hmm. right? And the solar system has different planets moving at different speeds. So you might have like a big planet that's really cold and big moving on the outside of that mm-hmm. solar system. Mm-hmm. And then you got like hot planets that are spinning really fast close to the sun. Mm-hmm. That's what fixes. We're like a hot planet spinning close to the sun. And so I love the analogy. if I'm Blake, <laughs> the sitting in the CEO chair of Rockwell, mm-hmm. I'm looking at this like all of my planets. And I just got to keep the solar system kind of in balance. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay to have different ones moving at different speeds. And fix just happens to be one that's moving at... At high speed.
1: What I find interesting is you led with values, then you started talking about customer focus. You didn't really mention technology in that answer as you were thinking. Technology about is it. an output, yeah. right? Like
0: technology is an output of the decisions that people and the organization makes. Mm-hmm. Technology, in my view, is like an enabler. Like we use cloud technology because it's easier and better for our customers to deploy mm-hmm. maintenance software. Mm-hmm. Um, we cloud is an enabler of a business goal. Yeah. Um. The technology itself isn't driving anything. It's the business goals, and then the technology comes along with it. In my in my view,
1: no, no. I was I was just curious, right? I think mm-hmm. as as people are listening to this, you know, we have a lot of manufacturing leaders of all shapes and sizes totally. that that listen to this show. One thing I'm curious about is, you know, what what advice do you give to other manufacturing leaders that find themselves in the middle of an acquisition opportunity, whether it's looking to acquire or yeah. being acquired? After as you reflect on this past year,
0: yeah. You know, um, first of all, a- acquisitions are hard. Yeah, they're, they're hard, and a lot of them fail. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there are common, like lo- I said this earlier. There's lots of reasons where the train can go off mm-hmm. go off the tracks. Um,
1: what are some of those?
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> culture, culture misalignment. Sure. You know, goals misalignment. Mm-hmm. T- can you retain the talent mm-hmm. that had built the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, are you integrating the organization in the right way? Are you dra- drowning them with processes that that aren't, maybe an acquisition doesn't need? These are all kind of the holistic view yeah. that you want to try to avoid in some of these in some of these areas, um, and so you know. If I'm a manufacturing company and I'm going through an an acquisition or I'm thinking about acquiring, Mm -hmm. you have to be very, very deliberate about every single move that happens. Take uh, an employee that's that's been a part of the transition. Mm -hmm. Everything that happens that they see that's happening in the organization, their antenna is going to be up, saying, Mm -hmm. "Are they lying to me? Is that true? I don't know." like am i going to have a job am i going to be replaced is the Mm -hmm. strategy changing Mm -hmm. and they're going to be looking for signals everywhere yeah and so i think the greatest thing that we could provide that anybody can provide as you go through an acquisition like that is clarity of thought Mm -hmm. and then consistency of communication and if you do that often enough then i think you have an opportunity to skate through relatively unscathed We, we had this we had a framework at fix that we use and i Give this to anybody that's going through this, but we had this framework. We were probably it was the U.S. election at the time, so we were probably watching too much CNN or you know uh, NBC (laughs) News or whatever it was. But um, we were we had this uh, mental framework where it was promises made, promises kept, Mm -hmm. and so we literally wrote down the promises that we made to our employees and to the company, Mm -hmm. and then we tracked whether we kept them or not, Mm. and that was our way of holding ourselves accountable, but also like showing that slide. At every presentation that we brought the entire company together with and we had things like hey no one was going to get laid off we didn't Mm -hmm. lay anybody off we Mm -hmm. were going to remain a b corp organization we remained a b corp organization we were going to continue to operate independently we've continued to operate independently these are all the things the promises that we made and then we ended up holding ourselves accountable to them i think that was a good framework for the employees to like rally behind and you know watch and so i think those are those are the areas that." in my mind, acquisitions can go off the rails and how to try to avoid them.
1: I like that tip on a promises made versus promises kept list. I don't think that applies specifically just to acquisitions. I think you could use that in a lot of different yeah. areas of life. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> life changes,
0: so like <laughs> promises can change. But yeah, yeah. It's, I think in those scenarios, you want to stick to them.
1: Well, that kind of segues into another question I have is, is like, you got to go in these with a plan, make sure values align, focus on the customer, everything you've listed so far. But we're looking, we're reflecting on this a year later. What's something that's maybe surprised you about the acquisition as, as you've gotten to be fully into it?
0: Yeah, I would say um, t- two things uh, surprised me. The, the first is positively just the impact that Fix would have on Rockwell mm-hmm. as an organization. Yeah. So, you know, Fix. A 200-person company when we were acquired, we're about 300 now a year later, so we've grown a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rockwell, a 23,000-person organization, we acquired probably closer yeah. to 30,000 or 25,000 maybe now. Um, and the impact that we've been able to have in shaping what the software strategy is at Rockwell has really been astounding to me. I didn't think I thought there'd be a mismatch um, in mm-hmm. influence there, mm-hmm. and that hasn't been the case. They've really Rockwell has really leaned into us and our team in terms of helping shape what the software strategy should and could be at Rockwell. So that's the, that's the positive side on the other side of it. I don't think I had an appreciation for just how big the Rockwell ecosystem sure was mm-hmm. the distribution network. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the partner network and the partner ecosystem is just massive. And yeah. um, I've lived it before at Microsoft and BlackBerry. So I was able to you know wrap my head around it really quickly, but it was something that, I don't think I put enough weight to the scale that the ecosystem brings yeah, and just how much you can leverage that to build, you know, billion dollar businesses.
1: Are there moments of excitement that come from that where it's like, gosh, I expected this when I came in, but this just opens up so many other doors, right? You're like- exactly right, right? And, and nothing's easy,
0: right? So like yeah. there's no like magic key that opens a door to this like wonderful world of customer success and customer outcomes. But... Um, it certainly was like, wow, those are massive, massive opportunities for us, whether that's mm-hmm. in North America or even globally with Rockwell's you know, global reach.
1: Yeah. Well, as someone that, that works for Fix and, and worked for Rockwell in a past life as well, it's been pretty cool seeing everyone leverage their strengths I think is something that you just highlighted on there in, in so many words right yep. you look at the the reach the ecosystem you look at fixes speed you look at the areas of expertise there it's been pretty neat seeing that that all uh, that all play out God, so I'm glad. I, uh, I want to take this back to Two Cats. Two Cats was the spot yeah. we were at? Yeah, yeah. okay. Let's, let's go back to Two Cats for a second. I so hope
0: we, nobody listens <laughs> to this and actually goes to Two Cats because they'll be like, what? where did James send me?
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I've been exploring the beer scene while I've been on vacation here for the past couple days. So I've yeah. got plenty of breweries we can mention, but that's yeah. not what this podcast is about. Yeah. We're, but I want you to explain... What Fix does because we've been talking about the acquisition. There are probably some people that are listening to this. I'm sure they, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a manufacturing audience. They probably know what a CMMs is. But when someone asks you at a bar, James, what does Fix do? How do you answer that as if you're having a drink with them?
0: Yeah. So um, maybe if I'm not at a bar, but I I definitely will answer (laughs) it the way that I would answer it to like my mother. Sure. She's like,
1: what does James? What does Fix really do? Same question, just a different way of asking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So you have
0: to get even simpler, I think. Yeah. And uh, so I say, Mom, we are a software company. And uh, we create software for manufacturing companies and large industrial companies to help them manage all of their assets. Yeah. She's like, okay, assets. I'm like, yeah, the people that are making things, maintenance is super, super critical to keep those machines up and running. We have software to help them keep the machines up and running so that they can continue to do their business to the best of their ability. That is the simplest way that Mm. I I can explain that. And usually that's for my mother. That's far enough. If I'm at a bar. Usually there's a few probing questions. We get, start talking about cloud and API and other things. But, uh, yeah, that's the simplest That's the simplest uh, explanation I have so far.
1: Uh, I'm interested to get your take on this because I started mixing. That's that's the way I described as well. I mix in another element to it. It's that we help maintenance people become more proactive oh, rather yeah. than reactive, focusing on that human element, just making life easier for yeah, people.
0: Yeah, it's workflow, right? And so um, how do you put the power back into the person's hands that mm-hmm. are out there turning the wrench, fixing the machines because that's the individual that keeps the world turning Mm -hmm. and our software helps that guy out in the field you know keep the business keep the world running and that that to me is yeoman's work like that's hard that's hard work and i think underappreciated and i feel proud to you know develop software that help those people out in the world those frontline workers help them get their job done every day yeah safely and better than they would have previously
1: absolutely well it's been cool seeing everything from from the inside it's not every day you get to interview your ceo on your podcast yeah you did great <laughs> your come review
0: time chris it's gonna go awesome
1: i love it that was half the goal here well the the other half of it well i should say not the other half of the goal but we got a couple more questions as we wrap things yep. up and one of them's open-ended it's like is there anything you wish we would have talked about today that, that we haven't brought up yet it's been a pretty quick hit rapid fire interview on the acquisition but is there something else that's still on you your know minds? i don't you know
0: you know, short answers. Short answer is no. I, lo- I love talking about it. I love talking about our customers. I love talking about our technology. I mean, we could have had a whole podcast just on sure, just yeah. on technology and um, how we're how we would like to build an ecosystem of solutions and um, and how I'd love to integrate into Rockwell products and the vision of bringing all of that together. I think mm-hmm. there there is the promise of um, combining machine level data from Rockwell and Rockwell's products and what fix and plex the other acquisition from, from Rockwell has done mm-hmm. the combination of workflow and machine level data is a magical place to be an yeah. um, in industrial. And so for all of the manufacturing leaders that are, that are listening to this um, you know, there are, there are baby steps that we can all take to go along that journey, but start with the right ones because the the promise of condition based maintenance, preventative based maintenance, running AI like those are real technologies that can be mm-hmm. applied today. The only thing holding us back in a lot of places is change management exercise and going through a digital journey because yeah. everyone started from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so um, we focus a ton of our time at Fix just on helping people get off the starting line. But yeah. that, that journey is real. It's there. It delivers for organizations.
1: I, I will say a call to action for the audience out there, because we do talk about digital transformation industry 4o quite a bit yep. on this show, right? And there are some people that I know are still listening to this that haven't taken that first step. Yep. You are a very good first step to jumping into that, right? If you want to jump, dip your toe into the water, yep. CMMS Platform is a great spot it to is. start. It I is. couldn't totally take off my sales hack going into yeah, this interview. Listen, I, <laughs> this it is what it is. You wouldn't <laughs> be a
0: good sales guy if you didn't. But Sure. Um, yeah, you know, they're, they're, to take a look at there's processes that exist everywhere in every industrial organization that are not digitized. They're mm-hmm. still being run on paper and pen or Excel or some outdated legacy piece of software that's hard to use the technician in the field yeah. ain't going to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, find those ones, get those onto software. That's that's step 1. And so mm-hmm. the digital journey in in maintenance is really four steps in my mind to really boil it down. Mm-hmm. 80% of the market is still using pen and paper to run their maintenance today. 80% of maintenance departments in North America, regardless of size of organization, are running on pen and paper today. That's a phenomenal stat. Mm-hmm. The first step from going from reactive maintenance to preventative-based maintenance, just on mm-hmm. time-based schedule, sure. is getting onto software. Yep. Once you're on the software, the next step is condition-based maintenance. In order to go condition-based maintenance, you have to connect your assets. That mm-hmm. requires cloud-based software to connect to, easy connectable machines. That's where the Rockwell acquisition really hums for I think a lot of our customers. Once you have machine level data, then you can run AI and machine learning on it to mm-hmm. do predictive-based maintenance. So you're going from reactive to preventative to condition-based to predictive. The the goal of FIX is to have journey points all the way through that, knowing that 80% of the customers are gonna start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And th- We've built our roadmap against that. We've built our, our professional services team against that. We've built our consulting services. We've built our uh, customer success team. Everything is built against that journey mm-hmm. to help customers through that through that journey and technology intersection points at each one of those stages, but you go, you can start getting on the software, connecting one asset, finding a use case, doing condition-based maintenance.
1: Excellent. I love the, the overview of CMMS we threw in here to, to quit. Well, one, one final question, then a quickie sure. at the end of it. So, uh you mentioned a couple things you're excited about with with the Rockwell acquisition. What's uh, this episode's being recorded end of twenty twenty one, getting released start of twenty twenty two. What are you excited about in the new year?
0: Yeah. Well if you haven't heard Chris, I'm I'm am i I'm so I'm forty one, I'm having my first child in, oh, like congrats. The, in the next like two weeks. So what I'm most excited about is being a dad. Love and, it, uh, love it, and doing and doing dad things. Yeah, um, I'm glad you al- answered
1: that way. Normally, I have to preface it. It's like it doesn't have to be work related. No, right? yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I'm a, a dad first, CEO second. Awesome. Um, so uh, my first child, I'm a little late to the game. Number one at 41, but I'm excited. Mostly excited for for that uh, for next year because I think that's just going to change everything.
1: Love that. Mm-hmm. Final question then to the future dad: Do you miss your BlackBerry? Uh,
0: yes. I do miss having the tactile keyboard, which I think a lot of people that listen to your podcast that have thumbs the size of mine would agree with. I miss having the tactile keyboard.
1: Understood. I mm. enjoyed my time with that as well. Yep. It was a, it was a good tool. Um, but you know what? Life moves on, and it goes pretty quick. Exactly. So, well, for everyone out there listening, we've been talking to James Novak from Fix Software. By the way, this is most of you listen to this on audio. That's Fix with two eyes. I just want to make sure that's clear. If you're looking that up, but James, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on today's show. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Thank you. For those of you out there, stay innovative, stay thirsty. Hey, thanks for listening, and thank you, James, for jumping on today's show. By the way, I think it's worth mentioning, it's a pure coincidence that this episode came out right as the BlackBerry was officially being sunsetted. Again, we recorded this in... December 2021 so coincidence that it's coming out right after that news didn't plan for it also didn't plan for this episode to come out right after our interview with Darren Mitchell which came out last week and he was talking about selling his manufacturing company so selling companies getting acquired just seems to be a growing theme on the show anyway it's the end of the podcast I'm rambling a bit here couple housekeeping things before we wrap up as always, if you want to learn more about Fix software, connect with James, or if you want to visit Two Cats because you found yourself in Toronto, you can learn all about that over at the show notes page manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 77. I also want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Obvious Ventures. We really enjoyed having their managing director, Nan Lee, on the show not too long ago. Make sure you check that out, and if you want to learn more, Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash obvious thanks a bunch of obvious ventures for being a sponsor of this podcast two more things first i did want to make sure i mention again i'm an employee of fix software but the podcast manufacturing happy hour operates independently of rockwell automation and fix software also If you want to leave a five-star rating in review, you can do that over at Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate it if you took just a couple minutes to do that. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where it doesn't take more than a couple sentences to leave a quality review. And with that, I think it's time to call it a week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again here next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.